Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. GX Wolfi. If you enjoy this programming, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Join Truth and Rhythm's membership program through Patreon. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funkin' Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I am delighted to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership bassist Hubert Eves IV, son of a previous guest on this show, Mr. Hubert Eves III, who is best known for his work with M. Tumay and D-Train. In addition to collaborations with his father, Hubert Eves IV has worked with Will Downing, Erica Badu, Jocelyn Brown, and Glenn Jones, among others. In 2022, he showed his flair for funky contemporary jazz with the catchy single under his own name called Dot Dida. And now, going even deeper into the groove for 2023, he has unleashed Incubated Funk with features past guests of the show, The Chops Horns. Hubert, how are you, man? Thanks for joining the show. All right. I'm doing great, man. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, My pleasure. Yes. Yeah, so it looks like you're in your little studio there. Where 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 are you about it's in the country? I'm in uh, Jersey, New Jersey, Jersey City, and in, in my uh, my music lab. You know where I I spend most of my time. I see you're you're kind of in your lab too. I see the plaques back there. I see a guitar. Okay, nice. Hey, it makes uh, life worth living. You know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. Never a dull moment. Yeah. So is that where you're from originally? Originally, I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay. Um, but we left Minneapolis when I was so young. Uh, and first, we went to California, and I think I was about five years old. And then when I was around six, we went to we came to New York. So I'm basically a New Yorker. I claim New York, you know. But I got love for Minneapolis and my, and my family and my people out there. And but you know, I kind of got. Uh, got my uh, my stripes in Brooklyn. Understand. Um, well, thank you for doing the show. I appreciate. It. Been looking forward to talking to you. You know, love the bass players especially. And uh, oh, yes, you know, I can see some of your um, weapons behind you, so that's always cool. And um, we're gonna have some fun here. Okay. So, 
let's uh, jump back. You're saying where, you know, you've lived and all that, but, um, you know, obviously your dad, but, you know, what drew you to music? You know, I mean, was it like something you just could not avoid or how did you get such an affinity for it? Uh, I'm going to say probably that I couldn't avoid it because it was always around me. You know, my dad from from when I was a little tight, I just remember him always playing music, whether he was playing piano or drums or the record player. It was just always music on. So uh, I kind of just naturally just had an attraction to it. And how did you gravitate to the bass in particular? It's funny, uh, bass, um, I used to be in a band. I played drums in a, in a band called Starburst. I was around nine years old. And uh, whenever we would take breaks, um, you know, the bass player would put his bass down and I would pick it up and just mess around with it. And I just had a lot of fun. And, and my dad was kind of like watching me saying, I wonder if this, this kid wants to play bass because as soon as uh, my bass player would put that bass down, I, I'm picking it up, playing it. And then he started uh, jumping on the drums. And to this day, he's a drummer. And, and I'm playing bass. That's funny. But that's that was my first uh, introduction to, to bass. And where was your dad in his career when you came along? Uh, my dad was, back then, he was primarily playing jazz, from what I remember. And he was, I think he was working with uh, like Norman Connors, Carlos Garnett, Gary Bartz, and uh, a little later on with him, Tumay and, and that whole crew. And um, just always, always doing something. And I was always there at the rehearsals or in the basement when he was practicing, you know, learning music or writing music. So, I mean, it was just always around me. And, uh, you know, wherever my dad went, I wanted to go. You know, if it was involved in music, I was like, hey, hey, over here. Can I go? <laughs> and he always took. And do you have siblings or it's just, just you? So I have two sisters. And are they musical? And, uh, yeah, they're, they're musical. And uh, my, my sister, Dana, she actually does all my uh, digital artwork and all my my social media stuff and gives me great advice and and uh she's a singer she's a writer she's a she's she's starting to produce her own uh material and uh my older sister vicky i'm sure if she wanted to do anything musical she could if she wanted to so it, it's definitely in the blood do you oh, remember yeah. do you remember a particular point where you saw your dad in the studio or on stage and just kind of clicked like, you know, that he was at a high level, you know? I think it was uh, times in this, in this recording studio, especially uh, when he was uh, with him too, May. And I would see certain celebrities come in and uh, string sections and the studios were very elaborate. And it, it was just amazing to me just as a kid, just watching all of that. And I mean, to me, he was just dead. I didn't know, you know, the magnitude of, of, uh, you know, where he stood in the music business and, you know, what his goals and, and dreams were. I just knew that that was my dad. He plays music. He takes me everywhere he goes. 
And uh, I want to do the same thing. And uh, that's kind of like what happened. Like he, my parents gave me no choice, man. This is just like, here, do music. <laughs> Almost like a punishment. You're going to do music. Or else, yeah. <laughs> or else. <laughs> what, what do you remember? What can you share with us about um, M2Me? I remember M2Me, he was very, very nice to me. He was always uh, just real cool. You know, whenever I was in the studio, he would always come and talk to me and, you know, ask me what I was up to. And matter of fact, I remember one gig they had, they used to do a skit with a drummer, uh, Howard King. He would uh, leave the drums and he would go to the front of the stage and do his, his bit, talk to the audience and, and things like that. So they asked me, I was 10 years old. I said, look, it's, it's only for about like five minutes, six minutes. You, all you got to do is hold a groove, play a straight beat. You want to do it? And I was like, of course. I was nervous, but I, I wanted to do it. And, you know, that was back when they were kind of like in the, the kind of parliament garb and, the, you know, the, the hats and the crazy costumes. So I had on a costume, you know, and I went up there and I held it down. And I remember at the end in the dressing room, somebody came to me. I don't, I don't remember who it was, but they said, hey, Ntume wants to see you in his room. And I went to Ntume's room and he said, you did great, man. Here. And he handed me a $20 bill. And that was like probably $500 back then. I couldn't believe I had twenty dollars that I actually made that I worked for. So I was I was really happy with that, and I never forgot that. So thank you, Tume. You know, rest in peace. Yes, absolutely, rest in peace. Um, yeah. Wow, your first paid gig, you know? That was it. That was my first paid gig, man. Wow. Now, did you, uh, you know, travel with your your father on the tour, or you just kind of popped up when he was playing locally, or how did that work? Just locally. I, I never went on tour with them. You know, if they if they had shows in town or um, rehearsals, studio, that kind of stuff, you know, I was really uh, game for. But, you know, because I was in school and stuff, you know, so I kind of had to stay home with, with my mom and my sisters. But um, if they were in rehearsal studios or if they were in recording studios, I was there, you know, eating the bad food and, and everything. <laughs> I'm thinking it must have been a trip, though, seeing, you know, strangers kind of react to what your father was doing at first, you know, and seeing how much joy he was able to bring them through music. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, I probably had moments like that. But my my memories were just I just had fun. You know, I think because I was so young. You know how kids are, you know, things kind of just go like right over your head, you know. So so if if there were any kind of weird moments, you know, I, I was just oblivious to it. I was just like into the music and just watching. I used to really like looking at the mixing console. It used to really uh, amaze me. I used to think, you know, as you get older and you, you feel you realize what's going on with it, that, you know, one strip is it's the same. It's the same thing, you know, but I'm looking at these buttons and I'm like, how do they ever know how to work all of this stuff like, I mean, like look at all these NASA buttons. or something yeah exactly exactly 
So, yeah, that was, it was always fun. You know, as you got into your teens and, and a little bit older with your musical pursuits, who were some of your biggest influences, you know, on bass and just in music in general? My biggest influence on bass, my absolute biggest influence was Bootsy. You know, I used to call myself Hutsy. You know, I was just like, I just couldn't get enough of Bootsy, man. Just just the look, the way he he talked, you know, and his his groove, the bass, you know, when I when I saw that space bass, and I'm like, who is this dude? <laughs> and I mean, he was just so funky, so cool. You know, I just wanted to be like Bootsy. But then, you know, the, the later on as I got older, I started, you know, listening to other other musicians and bass players and you know, of course, Larry Graham. Uh, I really like Prince on bass. He's he's definitely one of my my favorite uh, bass players. You know, he he was just like he had an attack and a touch, like just it was his own. I mean, that that guy could really really uh, play some funk and some R and B, and I love the way he played ballads. How he just laid in the cut and uh, uh, Marcus Miller. He's one of like, you know, you know, when, when I think of Marcus, not only is he, uh, to me, one of the greatest bass players, you know, that I've ever heard, but his production, his writing, um, his, you know, his improv, just totally complete bass player, you know, complete in, in every way, you know, songwriter, production, you know, all of the tours, all of the work that he's done. Big fan of Marcus. Um, Byron Miller. I love Byron Miller. Uh, and a lot of my friends, man. You know, I get I get asked this question a lot. And uh, a lot of my friends who, they may not be as famous, but some of these cats, man, they play things that are like, phew, nobody's playing. You know? So... So many guys, man, and, and, and girls. Uh, Esperanza, she's one who is just absolutely amazing. She just blows me away. You know, her singing, her playing, her writing. Just, just so many, so many musicians, man. I could go on forever. <laughs> now, when you were a kid or teenager, whenever, did you get to see Bootsy at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw Bootsy, I think, in... 75. Uh, I seen him a couple of times. I seen him with Parliament. I seen him alone. And a uh, funny story, true story. Later on, as, as a young adult, I was torn with um, Freddie Jackson. And we were in uh, Anaheim, California. And the group of guys that I was actually on tour with we were all actually friends. You know, a lot of times you end up on tour and you're just with hired, hired guns. You don't know each other. Sometimes you get along, sometimes you don't. But this group, we were actually friends. We, we hung out after the gigs, you know, in the summertime, you know, we were really close friends. So they knew me very well. They knew uh, how much respect I had for Bootsy. So I'm in a dressing room, you know, before the gig. And uh, one of my best friends, his name was Fritz Cadet. He's he's passed, you know, R.I.P. Fritz. He came to me. He said, Hugh, don't go nowhere. 
stay right here. I got a surprise for you. I was like, what? What's up? He goes, don't go nowhere. I said, all right. So I'm just sitting in the dressing room, you know, noodling on my base or whatever. Fritz comes in, you know, with this guy and looks at me like, and the guy's looking at me and I'm like, hey, what's up, man? How are you? So he looks at my, at my friend Fritz and he goes, wow, does he always like treat his idols this way? And I said, what? Fritz said, Hubert, this is Bootsy. I said, that ain't no mm, Bootsy. You know, I know Bootsy. That ain't Bootsy. It was, he was an impersonator. So the cat looks at me like, wow, man, this is, this is really embarrassing. So my, my man Fritz and the rest of the guys were really pissed off at me because they all thought it was the real Bootsy. And they were like, the guy, you know, he left and they were like, you, why would you do that, man? That was, that was messed up, you know? And I thought you loved Bootsy. I kept saying, look, that's not Bootsy. I know Bootsy. We got over it, did the show. The next day we had a day off. So we're all hanging out in one room. MTV News comes on. Uh, breaking story. Bootsy impersonator caught in Anaheim, California. Uh, he had signed some, some bad checks in Bootsy's name and had, had, had a book some shows in Bootsy's name. And I turned around and looked at them and they were like, holy shit, how did you know? And I was like, I know Bootsy, man. I just, as soon as I saw him, I knew it wasn't him. Fast forward, I'm playing with Erica Badu. Uh, we're playing in Cincinnati and I'm backstage just walking around. You know, I forgot what act was on. I was kind of checking them out backstage and in the corner, I see Bootsy. I had never met him. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to blow this opportunity. So I walked up to him and I said, you know, excuse me, Bootsy. My name is Hubert Eves the fourth. I'm a bass player. He cut me off. He said, I know who you are. So yeah, man, you killed on that record. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I thanked them and we shook hands, we hugged. And I, I said, hey, man, I got to tell you a quick story if you got a second. He was like, yeah, what's up? And I told him that Bootsy story. And he just, he laughed and he said, man, you don't know how much money that guy cost me. You know, legal fees. I got promoters, you know, calling my house. And he goes, I'm just glad that they called him. So I, I think to this day, I'm like, what an amazing story, you know, amazing. Wow. To, for me to be able to tell him that. That's awesome. Yeah. And I remember that story and I saw it resurfaced again somewhere that uh, on like social media that that had happened, you know, with the Bootsy impersonator, but I never spoke or knew anybody who actually encountered the impersonator. So that's wild. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That was wild. You're like, um, you know, you got your your Bootsy detector, you know, bogus detector. It's like on high alert. Yeah, you man. Know? Don't nobody <laughs> don't come to me talking about your Bootsy, man, because I'm gonna get you. Bootsy's gonna get you. <laughs> I imagine if you had tried to put a base in that guy's hands too, he probably would have uh, fumbled quite a bit. Probably, yeah. I, that that would have really would have blown it. I should have gave him a base, man. He was nah, you know, my fingers are hurting right now. <laughs> Man, so but you also saw Bootsy uh, play in his prime, which is just awesome because I got to see him in '78, and you know, 
I've seen maybe some shows that were as good, but I can't say I've ever seen a better show. Yeah, that show was amazing, man. I mean, it was so funky, and you know, they had the mothership and tight, tight. Uh, it's tight as hell, and they had so many musicians on stage. It was just so much going on, you know. And I remember uh, I was actually there with my dad and him two mate. And uh, I remember uh, at one point I ended up on mine on my dad's shoulders, and I would be on, on two mate's shoulders because I couldn't see. And I was just blown away, man. And, and after that, I also saw Earth, Wind, Fire, and, and it was just, this is what I want to do. I mean, these guys are like, I mean, you don't see stuff like that anymore, you know. And, and not that, that people aren't out, they're not out here doing it, because there's plenty of bands and musicians that are bringing it. They just don't get the, the shine, you know, that they deserve. So you really got to go looking for that stuff. Yeah. Um, so did you ever get to see Larry Graham play or never? Mm. I never got a chance to see him play. Uh I want to, even now, because he's still killing, man. He's so funky in his tone, you know, the sound the sound of his bass. You know, a couple of times when I when I've had basses made, they would say, What are you looking for? I say Larry Graham. I want that tone, you know, that that he had. And you know, of course, you know, they're not making instruments like they were back then, but also it's it's in your fingers. It's your touch. You know, that's that's just his touch. So, you know, you can come close, but, you know, that's that's his thing. So I just I leave it alone. I try to go for my thing. But if I could get close to that, whew, that, that tone he had on uh, thank you. Come on, man. <laughs> I know you felt it. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. I got to see him in 79 and then um, saw him come back in the 90s. And man, when he came back in the 90s, it was just fire. I saw him play at the House of Blues. It was incredible. You know, he brought oh, Graham yeah. Central Station back, you know, in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Uh, and like you said, he can still kill it. He's killing, man. And, and you know, the thumping, he's, he's, he's the one that started it. And still sounds good at it, you know, still killing at it. Yeah, yeah. i tell you another cat that I'm really, really uh, enjoying, too. You know, I'm, I'm going to jump on the bandwagon, but it's Mono Neon. Bow down. He's, he's just ridiculous, man. Yeah. Ridiculous. yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping to have him on the show at some point here soon. So. Oh, yeah, yeah I'll be tuned in for that one. For sure. <laughs> yeah. And two guys who eventually played with Prince too, uh, Graham and Mono Neon, uh, late right, right near the end for Prince. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So when you were, uh, you know, doing your thing, how intuitive or easy did it come to you, um, or and how hard did you have to work at it? Um, I, I think I, I I would have to say that. Music, it's in my family. You know, it's like on my dad's side. Of course, my dad, he, he played, uh, he plays um, keyboards, drums. Um, my grandfather played a few different instruments. You know, my uncles play. I know Uncle Kevin plays bass. Um, so I just think that it was kind of, it was, it's in the blood, it's in my family. 
And I loved it. I loved it from when I was a kid. It wasn't like, it wasn't grueling for me where it was like, you know, you go practice. Now, I didn't want to practice at times when my friends were outside, you know, playing basketball and things like that. But I enjoyed playing. So whenever I played, I always enjoyed it, you know. Um, and drums was my first instrument. And it came pretty naturally. And I just kind of like felt it. I would play with records, different kind of, you know, styles and, and grooves. And um, I just had fun with it, man. Just, just, just a different kind of beats and rhythms and, and then when I when I got to uh, when I started playing bass, you know, I kind of like I'm a very rhythmic bass player, you know, that's that's from playing drums. Um, so I kind of just merged the two. And I used to do my what I call ghetto uh, multi-tracking back in the day. I would have like three tape recorders and I play a drum beat on one tape recorder and play, you know, press play on that one, record on the second one, the bass part. And I had a, a guitar and I would just keep, you know, going back and forth until I would complete whatever idea. And that's how it started in terms of me writing songs. And then uh, maybe when I was about 14, 15, my dad gave me a four track cassette player, Fostex X15, I remember the model. And uh, I went nuts with that thing, man. I, I learned how to bounce tracks and I was doing like complete songs and vocals and and uh, just had a lot of fun with it. And I just just kept going. It was just something that I really, really enjoyed. You know, it was it was kind of like my arcade. It was just doing music and having fun with it. You know, and it's still fun. Who are a couple of the uh, drummers that are among your favorites for their pocket feel and, you know, that kind of thing? Um, well, I got to I got to shout out my man, Pooji Bell. You know that because, uh, you know, from firsthand experience, you know, that cat, he knows how to like. He don't budge, he don't move, he doesn't play no unnecessary fills, you know, so his pocket is like legit. Um, uh, of course, Dennis Chambers. I love Dennis. Uh, so many guys. Tony Thompson, I really used to enjoy from uh, Chic. He was a killer. His groove was just something else, man. You know, RIP to him. And uh, I got a bunch of friends, man, who were like, you know, these guys are just scary, man. You know, I don't want to start naming them because, you know, I, I leave one out. They're going to be mad at me, but they all know who they are, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the two you named. So many still, great musicians. Man. The two that you named yeah. that are still with us have both graced me uh, with being on the show. So uh, among my favorites, too. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. So how did things progress for you as a young man, you know, and music? Um, what was the first recording session that you were ever part of? The very first recording session that I did was with a good friend of mine, Will Downing, because uh, we went to high school together. And uh, his very first demo, uh, I played on. I played a 
played a uh, bass on it. And I think that was the first professional recording that I did. You know, where we were actually in a real studio. And, you know, back then, we were all in, this, in the room. It was live from beginning to end. You know, if one person messed up, do it over. So uh, that was my very first recording, actually. Shout out to Will. <laughs> WD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and you participated in some of the D-Train stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I played on uh, drum fills on You Don't Want For Me. Uh, I played bass on a few different songs. I think Keep Giving Me Love, I played bass on. Uh, there was a song called In Your Eyes that I had actually co-wrote with my dad and, and James Williams. And I'm playing bass on that. Um, I played drums on a couple songs. So yeah, I was definitely, uh, you know, part of that crew at, you know, they didn't let me do like the complicated songs, you know, cause I was young and sometimes I would play too many fills and, you know, get a little excited in the studio. But you know, the stuff that, that uh, they knew that I could handle, they would put me on. And I and I appreciate it, man, because that that experience that uh, and just being part of history like that is, you know, no one can take that away from me. So I'm definitely grateful for that for that time. How did you feel and react when that song first popped on the radio and you heard it? It's funny. Um, you're the one for me. I remember uh, I was in Minneapolis for the summer. For, it was school break. And I got a call um, from my dad. And uh, I think one of my aunts said, hey, your dad's on the phone. And my dad said, hey, little Hugh, I want you to hear something. And it was You're the One for me, just a track. It had no vocals. He had just finished doing the track. And he said, this is going to be something. And I only thing I remember musically, I, I remember listening on the phone and how it was like, what the hell is this? It was so funky, so different, you know, and and he had done a lot of funky tracks and, you know, things that, that impressed me back then. But I remember to this day when I heard you're the the one for me, it was just something different. It was just something special. I'm not going to pretend like I knew it was a hit and all of that stuff because I didn't. I just knew that it was funky. It was, it was different. And it out, and I felt it. And uh, you know, the rest is history with that track. You know, to this day, you can put it on, and it still stands up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that synth riff is just, you know, I mean, it just goes into your brain, man. I know, I know. And and I I thought about doing a, a remake on it, but I said, you know what? I'm not stepping into that track, man. You know, some songs. You leave alone, you know, especially when, when they're done so well, because the, the critics are going to come at you and say, wow, you should have left that alone. You know, you, you're never going to do it as, as good as the original. So I said, I'm going to leave it alone for now. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe bust wait, it out on, busting it out on stage during a show is, is one thing, but yeah. Yeah. Committing well, a new version. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? I, I'll just like, I'll bust out like in, in, in a gig or something on one of my gigs. Maybe, maybe we can go into it and break it down a little bit. But to totally just remake that song, that would be a challenge. How did James impress you uh, early on? Um, he was flawless and he still is. It's like, it just, you know, in, in general, singers always kind of blew me away. Just how they could just navigate just, you know, effortlessly, you know, the, the, the great singers, they're all, you know, and I'm just like, cause I can't do it. I'm like, how the hell are you doing that? And D, um, whether it's funk, whether it's, you know, blues or jazz or something just really, really beautiful and melodic. He can do it all. And like, I, I remember watching him like doing uh, background uh, sessions. Oh, he's doubling his vocals and, and uh, boom, just knocking stuff out. Boom, waste no time. You know, and he was a young man. And I've also had the pleasure of working with him in the studio as as a producer and just you don't have to tell him what to do he just does it you know you can say i want something like this okay uh i want to do like something really really interesting you know with the back okay <laughs> and he just knocks it out man you know so he's he's one of those singers that um i wish more people knew about him because uh the people in the industry, singers, real singers, they know. They give them his props. But I just wish that the world could could get a, a taste of of you know who he is, because he's he's something else. He's something else, man. Special. And I also think he doesn't bring any of that baggage that some singers bring. He's, you know, not a um, you know, for lack of a better term, not a diva, not a prima donna. You know, he just, you know, let's do it, let's get it done, positive. You know, and energetic. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he's very positive, energetic, and funny as hell, man. He'll yeah. he'll just keep you. You won't. Sometimes you can't even get no work done because he's just he have you cracking up so bad. And Will Down is the same way. Just just hilarious. Yeah, I haven't met him yet, but I'll probably hit, get him on the show at some point too. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You'll have fun. And yeah. so many people have referenced him. He's worked with so many people that have been on the show. I got to talk to him at this point. <laughs> Oh, you know what? You'll have fun with him because Will is a bass hit. You know, he loves great bass players. And, and if you uh, check out his body of work, the bass players that he uses are just, just incredible, man. Always. He's, he's always been into that. So you'll, you'll have fun with him. I'm going to tell him, too. Appreciate it. Oh, yeah. So from uh, D-Train, what was the uh, next, you know, thing of note that you were part of that you got to dip into um from d train uh, uh you know i was in high school so right in like when i finished my senior year um i had met a friend uh alex mosley guitar player through another guitar player friend uh gary paulson and Alex Mosley, call him Spanador, he's a, a guitar player, a bass player, a keyboard player, a writer, a producer, and 
to this day, he's one of the, the absolute best musicians that I ever met. He, he's the kind of guy that could pick up a bass, burn you on your bass, burn you on your guitar, and then he's burning on keyboards. And I mean, I've been in the studio with him. He, he's the type of musician who can, uh, say for instance, he gets a new keyboard, has a sequencer in it, and he's just trying to give you a demo of the keyboard. He's like, oh, I can do this, boom, he plays it, a keypad. And then he can do this, he puts a bass to it. He doesn't even realize what he's doing. And I'm in producer mode at that point, and I'm like, what are you gonna do with that? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, Alex, that's a song, man. He's like, oh, I was just messing around. Delete, gets rid of it. And I'm like, talented like that. But anyway, he was uh, uh, in the band Lisa Lisa and Cold Jam. And they were, they were uh, looking for a bass player. No, they were looking for a drummer. Because I played, I played drums and bass with Lisa, Lisa and Cold Jam. But I, I came in playing drums. So... Uh, I went down and I auditioned um, and that was my first tour. That was my first big tour. And that was uh, a lot of fun to this day out of all of the, the situations that I've been in musically. That was the absolute most fun I ever had because I was young. I was like 19, 20 and we were making money and we were traveling and the shows were sold out and it was just big scale. And, uh, you know, I didn't get a chance to get, you know how as musicians, as we get older, we get a little jaded. We get a little like skeptical and, you know, because, you know, you get burned here and there and you, you get your feet wet. And you, you start to, to realize that this is a business. It's not always going to be fun like that. Um, but back then, it was just straight fun. You know, we were playing music, playing sports, and, you know, buying remote control cars and just doing all kind of nonsense, having food fights and <laughs> just crazy. But, uh, yeah, that was my, my, my first big tour. How, did they uh, have more than the one hit at that point, or did they have a few hits by then? Uh, at that point, it was, I wonder if I take you home. That was, you know, their big hit. And, and I played, I toured with them for about like four or five years, I think. So they, they went on to have huge success. You know, they, they had uh, head to toe, all cried out, lost an emotion. And, uh, you know, I, I played, you know, I goofed up. I got to rewind real quick. I didn't go in to the band playing drums. I went in playing bass. I first played bass with them. And then uh, maybe three years down the line, our drummer, uh, Ali Ferguson, he got murdered. And we had a, a gig opening for David Bowie at Giant Stadium. And, you know, we were all grieving his death. And, but we still had this show that we had to do. And full force, the, you know, the, the production and, and writing team and uh, Lisa Lisa and Mike and Alex, they were kind of like, what are we going to do? How are we going to get a drummer that can learn the show? I mean, it was a pretty elaborate show back then. Um, what are we going to do? So I remember talking, I think I was talking with Alex and, and I said, hey, man, I could do it. And he was like, 
really? I'm like, yeah, I could do it on drums. So they uh, spoke to Full Force and, and to, to Mike and Lisa and Alex. They got together and they were like, let's, let's try it. So I got on drums. My bass tech, his name uh, was Gary Augustus. He got on bass. And I did the show. And from that point on, I was the uh, the drummer. I stayed on stayed on drums. And Gary uh, became the bass player. Wow, so, <laughs> what a situation to step in. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was weird. You know, it was very very emotional. You know, because you know me and Ollie, we were we were roommates. You know, on the road. You know, he's a very, very nice guy, very talented guy. So, you know, but we, you know, we had to move on. So that's how that went down. Mm. Well, I was going to ask you too about Full Force's role, you know, in the tour itself. Um, were they uh, present? Did they tour with them or they just popped in certain shows or how did that work? Um. Well, full force. They were they were the ones running everything, pretty much. Um, I mean, our live show. Uh, Mike, Alex, and Lisa. They were. They had a, the majority of the creative input was was coming from them. Full force would oversee everything. You know, if they would come to the rehearsals or they would come to the shows, and for the most part, they they would they enjoyed it. Every once in a while, they would say, hey, you know, you guys can do this or you, you may want to try this or try that to enhance the show. And sometimes, uh, like Bo Legged Lou might come and sing uh, All Cried Out with Lisa, you know, as a guest. But I don't, I don't remember us touring um, much together. You know, they, they kind of did their own tours. And, you know, we, we did things here and there together. But pretty much uh, when, when Lisa, Lisa exploded you know he was kind of on her own but uh you know under the, the guidance of, of full force at that time hmm. um so when you were playing bass did, was there choreography i'm thinking if there was then at least when you went to drums you didn't have to do the choreography <laughs> hey man you said it because i'm not much i'm not much of a dancer man you know i i'm kind of like you know, in the background, you know, I do my, my side step. Matter of fact, they used to tease me because I couldn't get the choreography. They, they used to have all these steps. I used to just do my own version. So they would, they would laugh at me, but I didn't care. But, uh, yeah, I've always felt more comfortable playing drums because, you know, I don't have to be up there moving and dancing and stuff. So, yeah, that, that was a plus. <laughs> Big plus. There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinslift.net. Thank you very much.